time to go back to old Saggy Baggy Eye. This time, we'll give one of the most infamous serial killers the proper treatment and deep dive his entire life and crimes. In part one, we'll discuss Ed Gein's abusive childhood, his bizarre relationship with his mother, and some people that came up missing just as Gein was starting to explore his dark side. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you think sex is strictly for procreation, and that all women are whores and instruments of the devil, stick around and ask your doctor if an Ed Gein upbringing is right for your child. This is Necronomapod. The secret gory life of little Ed Gein was now exposed, and almost as gruesome was the curiosity of a world that had never witnessed such unspeakable crimes. Curiosity seekers would descend on a sleepy farm town that would leave its mark on America's conscience for decades. He'd play with the kids. They'd jump on his back and he'd give them horsey back rides and things like that. He was just a, just a nice, odd little man. Well, Ed Gein was always a person that everybody liked to pick on. They'd take a bottle of beer and they would open it up and put a little whiskey in it to give him a little more jolt at noon there, unbeknown to him, to kind of get him going. He was, you know, he was the guy that everybody picked on. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like whenever I see like serial killer shit online, even if it's like merchandise, t-shirts, like a Mount Rushmore of like serial killers and true crime, Ed Gein always pops up. I think that's based on all the movies that are based off of Ed. He's widely regarded as saggy baggy. eye. yeah, I know that, but <laughs> let's say is the inspiration i think for a lot of the modern horror stuff so i think there are a lot of that comes from like like chainsaw psycho chainsaw massacre yeah psycho with the mom stuff definitely with the mom stuff like the guy that wrote the novel psycho lived like 40 miles from ed gein oh really 100 was based on him well so it's almost fitting that we kind of dive back in and you know when we first did this one like it was we didn't know what the fuck we were doing nope Mm mm-hmm We'll give this guy's uh, due justice and, you know, this uh, tear him apart. And soundboard was not present. The audio quality (laughs) was not good. We didn't have great microphones. I don't even know if we had headphones at that point in time. I don't think we did. (laughs) Really? We didn't have headphones for a while. It took a minute. Is that right? I don't even. Honestly, I have no idea. I don't don't remember remember at all. Yeah. If we did, we just had like our own bring your own headphones from home type gimmick and plug them in. Are we savages? My God, man. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's tough times. It's tough How do people times? listen to that audio quality? I gave it a quick sample. I didn't have it in me to listen to the whole episode, no. but it's really Which, bad. Yeah, it's rough. We've come a long way. So maybe it's time we do this story again. And Ian, you've been wanting to do this one for a while anyways, right? Yeah, because... The first couple episodes, uh, they don't have the original int- or the, the intro that we've been using. No, they didn't have anything. Yeah. With the music and stuff? And Just all of it, yeah. yeah. Like, hey guys, uh, this is a podcast. <laughs> I guess something, something like that, right? <laughs> so we got this microphone and a computer. We're going we're gonna to talk for a little bit about stuff. People are like, yeah, this is a good show. <laughs> I think the only one to redo is um, <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill. That's the only other one that doesn't have an intro. Yeah, you're probably right. Everything else has an intro. 
We did an Art Bell one too, right? One of those first three. Yeah, it doesn't have an intro, but what are you going? There's nothing to redo about that, right? The yeah, like I don't think I can do the Blumpkin it. remote viewing again. Yeah, they got divorced. Yeah. They're, they're they're not together anymore. Well, now so I don't know a, where to remote into. Sad Blumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> a blumpkin that'll never happen again like the maids blowing doing the blumpkin on sedacus at his house right now i'm sure he's got somebody else come on <laughs> he's a fine looking individual we also uh we've been getting a lot of requests recently on the socials for uh uh topics just a reminder if you would like to request a topic email us at inquiries at necronomapod.com that is our one-stop shop for all of the requests that we receive. We receive a lot of them. So if you send them on the socials, there's a good chance they're going to get lost in the shuffle or in the mix of all of our notifications. Inquiries at necronomapod.com if you have a topic request. That being said, we have a long list of topics we want to cover. So it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get to it right away, but you never know. Uh, something might pop up and we're like, fuck yeah, that sounds awesome. I think we have a list, what, five years long of subjects to cover yeah. at least. Keeps at growing. Least. And growing. So shoot us the email. Uh, that would be the best way to get your uh, your topic um, noticed. All email submissions do get on the list. There you go. Very diligently updating that list. Boom. Good job, Declan. So, all right, let's jump in. Two parts, Ed Gein. Yeah, part one, the outline's as long as the whole last episode, or the original episode. See? Stick around, folks. Ed Gein was born on August 27th, 1906, to George and Augusta Gein in La Crosse, Wisconsin. There isn't a lot of information available regarding Ed's father, George, mainly due to poor record-keeping. What we do know is that in 1879, when George was three years old, his family was living in Coon Valley, Wisconsin, on a farm. One afternoon, George's mother, father, and his older sister got into their wagon to head into town, but they never made it back. There was a sudden storm that day and a flash flood resulting in the Mississippi River sweeping away their wagon. At that point, George went to live with his grandparents, and that's pretty much all we know about his early life. That's a tough start to life there. Yeah. Your whole family getting swept away in a flash flood. Also, uh, Ed would have been 116 this year. If only he could have lived. He had so much more to give. <laughs> or take. Yeah. It's a shame he died so young. Am I right? <laughs> How old's the oldest person? Has anybody lived that long? Yeah, I think Yeah, they get so. to the 120s, I think. It's usually right? Japanese women, right? Is it? I think so. It's no one in America. Fucking fish <laughs> fillets. Fish fillets every day. It's not us. They eat healthy. It was a filet fish. Excuse me. Sorry. What did you say? Fish filet? Fish filets. Sorry. I don't order those often. Like a large portion of Americans die from heart disease. <coughs> My doctor told me they don't have heart disease in Japan. It's virtually unheard of because of their diet. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but. I'm sure somebody pretty over there has heart disease, but yeah. yeah not not but like For the us. most part, it's, yeah, not at all. You mean they don't have supersized french fries over there? <laughs> <laughs> to go with your triple Big Mac and cheese. Triple Big Mac. They still sell those? I don't know. I don't think I've ever had one of those. I don't even know what that would mean. Does that mean three patties on each side? Or like a double, a bun, a double, a bun, a double? I don't know. I just blew my mind. <laughs> I'm going to call McDonald's when we get home. Hey, Ronnie, got an idea. Hear me out. Two more patties and another bun. 
They're doing adult Happy Meals. They're probably open to your suggestion. They're all sold out. But because it's all about the fucking <laughs> toy, right? Like it's whatever the toy they're selling. Yeah, they're all sold out. I tried to get one the other day. What is because it's it's really just a Big Mac combo meal mm-hmm. or a 10 piece combo meal. Yeah. Either way, I would need two of them. <laughs> and then also <laughs> they're like 12 bucks. Yeah. yeah. You're because buying of the, the toy. fucking toy. So stupid. What are you talking yeah. about? Sorry, what? you just said you were trying to get one. I didn't. I didn't mean it was so stupid. I mean, <laughs> let me know if you get one, and let me know how cool it is. What is the toy? It's like the old ones, like Grimace oh, and Hamburglar and whatever. Okay. Mm. So, as far as um, not knowing much about George's life, the same goes for Ed's mother, Augusta. Not a lot is known other than she was born into a very strict Lutheran household. And her father focused a lot of his beliefs on revelations from the Old Testament. We have no idea what they saw in each other or how they actually met, but George and Augusta got married on December 4th, 1899, when George was 24 and Augusta was 19. When I say I don't know what they saw in each other, it seems like they almost hated each other right off the bat. By the time they got married, George was already an all-day, everyday alcoholic that couldn't hold down a job. The only idea that I saw put forward was from author Harold Schechter, who said that because of George's build and demeanor at the time of their marriage, Augusta might have thought that they could produce hardworking kids together. Well, and I'm also guessing divorce is a terrible sin. So even if she made a mistake, yeah, that's not long happening. Haul, she's not going to get divorced. Uh, George did some blacksmith work for a time and things like that. So, you know, he was a pretty strong guy. Um, And that idea also holds some weight because Augusta was a firm believer that sex should never be enjoyable. The only purpose of sex is to reproduce, and that's it. You don't just have sex for no reason. Mm. I can confirm that 100%. It's not enjoyable. No woman I've ever been with has ever enjoyed sex. (laughs) (laughs) So I get that. You get that? Yeah, that's true. So I'm guessing blowjobs and anal were probably out of the question. They weren't on Augusta's menu. <laughs> probably not. No ass to mouth going on in uh, La no Crosse, Wisconsin. There was no a la carte going on <laughs> when sexy time was happening. You know that Undertaker thing you were talking about last week? Like oh, staring at people. Augusta that. probably does that. Uh, or I'm did gonna, that. I'm going to do that 100%. <laughs> My favorite one is the... Uh, Sitting up, yeah. like right into them, and just staring them in the eyes, <laughs> just fucking riding you. Well, picture you're plowing Augusta, and she's just staring at you sternly with those beady eyes of hers. She's just like, I don't enjoy this. Just <laughs> put a baby in me. Finish, George. What's taking so long? <laughs> you just shriveled me with that. That would be the most emasculating. You know, how can you perform under those circumstances? Exactly. And Augusta was a very domineering woman. You don't you know, say. She was very, you know, very broad shoulders, and uh, she was a very strong woman. So, like, she could whoop his ass. She could probably fuck George up. I would oh, guess. Well, now he's back. Now I'm listening. That's all right. You can fuck me up and back. just don't, <laughs> just don't tell me I need to come right now and you know make me nervous. Maybe she uh, would have got into some pegging if she had been born at a different time. Duh. I feel like this woman probably wouldn't, though. What's the point of that? She can't get pregnant from it. What's well, I'm saying with a little less Bible, a little more uh, free spirited. Maybe Peg should have a little more fun. Milk him into a cup and then dump that into you. <laughs> then it's procreation based. It's Absolutely. Yeah. And then you avoid the whole nastiness of doing a sex from her standpoint. I think not you're on to something. 
Follow Mike for more biblical loopholes. Here we go. <laughs> Two years after they got married, George and Augusta had their first son, Henry Gein, in 1901. After Henry was born, George's alcoholism continued to get worse and was headed towards George just not contributing to the family at all. As things got more heated, George and Augusta would get into slapping fights that ended in Augusta throwing herself to the ground and praying out loud for George to die. This was almost a daily occurrence, and by the time Ed Gein was born, Henry had been dealing with this shit for the first five years of his life. It sounds like a great place to grow up. Lovely. <laughs> Why don't you die already? And come, come quick and die. The way it's described is like, uh, it makes you think of that speaking in tongues, like out of control praying. <laughs> yeah. But Ugh. doing that for George to die, like God, like God, please make him die. Ugh, Fucking for pleasure, not okay. Asking God to kill your husband, perfectly fine. Well, if you're praying, it's okay. You can ask for whatever you want in prayer, right? <laughs> God doesn't have to answer, right? Sure. The only reason that Augusta agreed to have a second child with George was because she wanted a daughter, one that she could raise to be a pure child in God's eyes. Augusta would pray nightly for a girl, so when Ed was born on August 27th, 1906, she was extremely disappointed. George probably had to suggest having a kid just so he could get laid, right? Look, if George was so drunk, could he even really get it up? Like, is he even, you know, his whiskey dick 24-7? Well, you think it like sober up for a couple hours? You're inferring that. That might not be true. You probably had to sober up for a couple hours just to be able to get it up. Hmm. Just saying. He's as much as an alcoholic as I've read. Do you have firsthand knowledge of uh, penile alcoholic (laughs) issues? In a word, yes. (laughs) After Augusta prayed on her disappointment, she came to the conclusion that she could still raise a pure child in Ed, that Ed was not going to be like other men. And she had no idea how right she was. (laughs) 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 Regarding school, Ed did fairly well as far as classes were concerned. However, social interactions were a completely different story. Augusta did everything she could to keep Henry and Ed cut off from the world. There were a few times that Ed would come close to making a friend at school, but when he would come home to tell Augusta about it, she would just berate him until he would just, you know, start crying uncontrollably and run to his room. And it wasn't hard to make Ed cry. He was a pretty sensitive kid and he would cry uncontrollably anytime kids at school teased him and kids were not very nice to Ed. Ed was very soft-spoken and had very feminine mannerisms, which resulted in boys picking on him. When it comes to this, Ed's really in a tough spot. Um, He himself said a lot of times he wondered what it would be like to be a girl or a woman, which we'll see next week. And I mean, people have listened to this episode before. Everybody knows who Ed Gein is. This manifests into his future crimes, you know, with the skinning. Oh, yeah. You know, the woman's suit, the woman's masks made out of skin but based on what ed said you get the impression that he felt like he was a girl stuck in a boy's body which isn't easy in 2022 and definitely wasn't easy in 1913 ed also had extra skin over his left eye which made his eyelid droop a bit and kids would call him saggy baggy eye which also made ed cry 
Ed's probably crying in heaven right now. <laughs> Mike may use that uh, term in his opening uh, segue. There. I did. That's what he was called. I wasn't telling a, a fib. <laughs> Look, when your mom is praying for a girl and is disappointed when you're born a boy and kind of is domineering and treats you like this, it's going to be a problem. So, of course, you're going to have feelings like that, right? Yeah, a lot of this first episode does not... Uh, make you feel animosity towards Ed Gein, right? Like well, no, much of no. what we're covering is just a shitty childhood. Not making excuses for what he's going to get to, but I mean, come on. I think a majority of the cases we talk about are the result of a shitty childhood, right? It definitely has something to do with it. I mean, it's a good person. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, I, I still firmly believe that some people are just born bad, but. Some people are made bad, too. But it's hard to make that argument for somebody like this, you know, who's just yeah. abused. Or like uh, an Ed Kemper who's locked in a basement. Sure. All the women dance over him or whatever. We'll talk about it in a bit. But Henry was able to pull away from Augusta's grip. But there was no hope for Ed. Ed was to show no interest in women other than Augusta because they were all, quote, whores and instruments of the devil. Augusta would read Ed passages of the Bible nightly before bed. And this lasted up until the day Augusta died. So Ed's well into his 30s, um, having bedtime Bible passages read to him. I wonder if she was so focused on Ed once he was born that that's what allowed Henry to break away. She focused on this creating a perfect, innocent Ed. That's how I took it. And like Hen- she gave up on. Uh, she wasn't was focused Henry. on yeah. Henry as much, and he was kind of able to, to get away from a lot of this. Yeah, that's 100% how I took yeah. it. This was her daughter, the one she wanted. So she, mm-hmm. This one's going to be mine. Yeah, I mean, that's what every all the you know accounts from people say, that Ed was going to be raised different. He was not going to be like every other man, not this guy looking to have sex with every woman and just this vile piece of shit he's gonna be pure and yeah college mike could have used an augusta maybe maybe probably not (laughs) (laughs) one of augusta's favorites to read ed before bed was from proverbs the lips of a strange woman drop honey and her mouth is smoother than oil but her latter end is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword Talk about uh, eating ass there. <laughs> Bitter so. as wormwood. <laughs> Her latter end. Just like some copper pennies. <laughs> now, therefore, my sons, hearken unto me, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. For why shouldest, shouldest thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Why, why indeed, College Mike? Why indeed? <laughs> Continue. What, my son, and what, O oh, son of my womb, and what, O oh, son of my vows, given unto thy strength and unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. I hate the way the Bible is That's read. a great Bible quote. I, I'm going to read that tonight when I go to so, so much. I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> wormwood that's what they make absinthe out of yeah wormwood well maybe if more buttholes taste like absinthe i'd know more 
<laughs> Maybe he would. Maybe I wouldn't also. I don't know. We don't know what Saturday is going to take me to. Sometimes it's open butt night at Mike's house. <laughs> as far as the workload in the Gein house was concerned, George and Augusta ran a grocery store starting in 1909. Within two years, George had started to drink through their alcohol inventory, and in 1911, the store was transferred into Augusta's name. By 1913, Augusta was the head of the household, and George just drank all day and did nothing. Augusta always wanted to own a farm, so as soon as 1913 rolled around, she sold the grocery store and bought a farm where Ed lived until the day he was arrested. Augusta made sure to buy a farm that was far away from town to further isolate the family, mainly Ed, from the outside world. The only time Ed ever got to leave the farm was to go out on shopping trips for things needed that the farm couldn't produce. Ed was always accompanied by his brother Henry, and the rule was to go to the store and come right back home. A virtual prisoner. Yeah, and I mean, it's not really an exaggeration. Up until the day Augusta died, you know, this was his life, just completely sheltered. His only relationship mm. was with her. I think I quote it later in the outline. I don't remember if I do, but um, Harold Schechter said, Ed lost his one and only friend. You know, the quote, something mm. along those lines, the day that she died. I, I'm sure that's exactly right. You know, speaking of this farm, I remember reading one time that there was an account where he walked in and they had a pig strung up, I, I think getting ready for slaughter in a farm, and Ed was allegedly aroused by this. Oh, really? You ever read that? Mm-mm. I where I saw that. I wonder if there's ever any hints of bestiality or anything like that. Well, Dave, in all fairness, have you ever been to a pig roast? I'd be aroused, too, if I knew that was what was coming. I mean, come on. It, it is pretty tasty. <laughs> So that life went on until April 1st, 1940, when George Gein died. So 27 years of that life we just discussed. I mean, that's all Ed knows is Augusta. Just horrible. Sounds awful. Yeah. No friends. Nothing but the Bible. Your goofy mom telling you not to fuck. Thumbs down on Augusta. Two thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) Not the best uh, parenting of a child. So at this point, George Gein needed full care from his sons um, because he was so sick from alcoholism that he couldn't get out of bed. And George was just seen as a burden. Augusta never stopped praying for his death in front of Henry and Ed, which now they're adults and they're kind of joining in on it. It's like all three of them. (laughs) Die, George, die. (laughs) Die, George, die. Like, I'm surprised someone just didn't fucking kill him and be done with it. Um, Is it uncomfortable, like, laying there? On your deathbed, and everyone in your house is chanting for you to die. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a great way to go. I like to think they're like tailgating it, like it's like a sporting event, and they're like grilling burgers and hot dogs, <laughs> drinking. He's got like three hours left. Tom's <laughs> it, guys. Motherfucker's dying. Woo! Tonight's the night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad we redone this episode. We're making it so much better. <laughs> Coincidentally, when George died, it brought along hard times. He didn't contribute to the family, um, but at the same time that he died, the farm started failing. To make ends meet, Henry and Ed started taking odd jobs around town. The job Ed enjoyed the most was babysitting because he connected with kids, which makes sense. His only experience outside of Augusta was grade school, and that's where it stopped for Ed. It was, I think it was like an eighth grade. And he was done, huh? Yeah, that was it for Ed. 
in an example of this is in 1942, Henry was too old for military service, but Ed needed to get a physical exam for the army right at the start of the U.S. getting involved in World War II. Due to Ed's left eye, he was spared from having to go to war, but that 100-mile trip to Milwaukee was the one and only time Ed would ever leave Plainfield, Wisconsin. That's just inc- to go to like the report and get like the, the physical. Yeah, that's the only time he Incredibly ever left. Incredibly sad. Saggy, baggy deferment. Is it even more sad, Dave, that mm. people have been exempt for less? Like bone spurs, perhaps? Mm. <laughs> That's incredibly sad. Also, I think I would have been better off being drafted, quite frankly. Get out of there. Get the fuck out of there and maybe uh, have some semblance of a I think normal for him, existence. For him, just mentally and just as growth as a human, it would have been better for him. Yeah. I also fear, though, he might have been eaten alive like even through like boot camp, like uh, you know, would he have survived even? Could they made him a chef or something? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm I mean, no expert could. on how deferments work, but couldn't that guy have been a, a cook? Or I mean, you want to eat nipple soup? I don't know. <laughs> That's not what I want, but I, I mean, something like that would have certainly been better than the alternative. But I wonder what at this point had the damage been done? Would he have been eaten alive by the military, or would or would it have kicked his ass into gear? And he found like his calling. Yeah. It's very well, he was already in his thirties at this point. Yeah, he but was But even still, like the damage was was done. Yeah. The think. damage is there, but could this have kicked him out of it and set him on yeah, I don't know. hey, here's my way to go Maybe. You know, unleash some of this energy. Maybe. You know, is in that situation you're almost forced to adapt, you know, more so than just being at home. Yeah. Would that could that have helped him? I don't know. He probably would have defected and went and he was he'd be Mengele's assistant or something instead. <laughs> yeah, like what you're doing here, Dr. Mengele. Also that if you want to go to the dark route. <laughs> Darker route. Yeah, we don't know anything about Ed's childhood. Like if he abused animals or did any like fucked up stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but if you take take the story as is. Other than abusing his mom's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Take the story as is. Ed's not like this monster, at least yet. You know, there's nothing here that's like. Just no, a, he's going to turn into a, like this complete monster. You know, just a weird homeschooled individual. Yeah, that knows nothing. And is read to bed every night with Bible passages. That one that you just read. Mm-hmm. Surely that could do no harm. <laughs> Surely. In 1944, Henry Gein started dating a divorced single mother from in town, and he was planning on moving in with her. Obviously, in Augusta's mind, this was like the end-all, be-all of sins to have her son be involved with this woman, and especially <laughs> and move in with her before they were married on top of all that. I, I can't even imagine. It is pretty horrific. Despicable. Like, how dare you? <laughs> I'm going to throw up just thinking about <laughs> at the same time henry started talking to ed about his relationship with augusta like um you know like hey i get get it this is how you were raised but you're 38 now and she's still reading you bedtime bible passages like maybe just go and it wasn't like this aggressive thing at least it's not written that way that it wasn't like this aggressive conversation it was just like a Hey, Ed, maybe it's time. Like, why don't you try and do some other stuff? Hey, fucko, FYI, (laughs) there's more out there than just mommy's teat. (laughs) 
Do we think Ed was jerking off at all? I don't think so. Based on the way, like stuff we're going to talk about in part two, how he viewed like a woman's anatomy and things. I don't think he knew a single thing about uh, any of that. That's probably and right. I, would, yeah. I was going to say too, even the way he responds, which we'll get to here in a minute, to the way Henry like tried to like relieve him of all of this, and he snaps. I don't think so. Nocturnal emissions, pal. Nocturnal <laughs> emissions. Yeah, what happens then? You're like, oh, what's this all about? Oh, mom, mommy, I spilled my tea. <laughs> At least that's what I went with. Up until last spilled week. Spilled my tea. Up until last week. It was a chai latte. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say what kind of tea Very is familiar. It's very similar. Mike, are you playing with your crumpet again? <laughs> Just Mrs. Hildebrand checking on you. <laughs> Naughty little boy. <laughs> Just tea. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You ever have one of those days where you couldn't wait to get to sleep at night, but as soon as you put your head down, all your problems come racing back into your mind, keeping you up, tossing and turning all night? Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. It seems we all tend to focus more on our problems instead of focusing on solutions to these problems. How do you think your life could change if you had a different mindset on problems, focusing more on solving them, as opposed to stressing about them day in and day out. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, especially when faced with challenges in life. But when you can learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Working with a therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small they are. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot of problems to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, raising a family, or even paying bills. Focusing more on problem solving can help improve your mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. If you've been on the fence about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option for you. It's convenient, affordable, and entirely online. After filling out just a brief survey, you'll get matched with a therapist, and you'll be able to switch therapists anytime you want. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Necro today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash Necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. So it broke Ed's heart to hear Henry question their mother. And on May 16th, 1944, a brush fire started in a marshy area on the Gein property. Do you know how many acres this farm was? Uh, no. Sounds pretty I'm not big. Sure. Yeah, I think it's big. Yeah. This fire got out of hand. Some accounts say that the fire was an accident, while Ed said that he and Henry started the fire on purpose, that they needed to clear the marsh out. And Ed later on says that um, he didn't even want to do this, set this fire at all. That Henry just kept bothering him about it, saying, we got to do it, we got to do it. And it's like, no, this is a bad idea. Mm. Ed got the fire under control but couldn't find Henry, so he contacted Sheriff Frank Engel, and a search party was organized to look for Henry. However, they didn't really even need a search party because even though Ed said that he couldn't find Henry, he led Sheriff Engel straight to Henry's body. When this weird detail was brought up to Ed, he replied to the sheriff, quote, funny how that works. Oh, that's funny how that works. It's right there. I had nothing to do with it. Oh! 
no one suspected Ed of being capable of murdering his own brother. And on May 18th, the local newspaper reported, quote, it was determined by a medical authority present that the death was due to asphyxiation. After an investigation by the coroner, it was decided that an inquest was not necessary as foul play did not enter into the death of Mr. Gein. Well, like smoke inhalation asphyxiation or ligature around your neck asphyxiation. That's a pretty broad term. Listen, pal, yeah. there's some questions that shouldn't be asked right now. Have you, did you not listen to boys on the tracks? You don't question these things. Okay. Sorry. So sorry, Mike. In the edit scene, it's like this, a weird guy, but a harmless, harmless. very harmless. Yeah. Like no one could ever imagine that Ed would hurt yeah. anybody. I also read, a re- I don't, I forget where I saw this uh, report from Mr. Schechter that uh, said there were reports that Henry had bruises on his head as well. Yes. He did write that in the, in the book. Yeah. So, oh man, it's from the book then, which deviant, that was a good book. Mm. Um, I didn't read it the first time when we did, did this episode, but I, but I read it for this one. Hmm. It's really good. It's called what? Deviant? Mm-hmm. And asphyxiation just means you can't like <laughs> breathe, right? No air gets to you. That's different than asphyxation. <laughs> like I have Megan the Stallion asphyxiation, but it doesn't kill me. But I, I would I still die get oxygen. from asphyxiation. <laughs> if a girl wanted to smother me to death with her ass. Like, that'd be a good asphyxiation way to go Megan the Stallion's ass on my face. It's not the worst way Asphyxiation resulting in asphyxiation. We would do an episode (laughs) on it if that happened to you, Dave. You would? I would do an episode on that, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. As she twerked on his face, breaking his orbital bones, (laughs) his penis seemed to not mind (laughs) as it remained firmly erect. (laughs) But I'm just... I'm having a little trouble, like an open air marsh fire on your property, how that results in asphyxiation death. Seems and how tough. Ed was able to get that under control <laughs> himself. Yeah, seems yeah. unlikely. That's all. Perhaps they wanted an open and closed case. Perhaps they did. And I think, I don't know, maybe, you know, that whole Ed being lovable thing, maybe played a big role in that you know like that sounds weird like it doesn't really make sense but what else could it be we're gonna believe that it's not gonna lie to us about it like are these country doctors you know country coroners the local sheriff not much capacity for investigatory type stuff so the way that what it looks like is what it is send me and i'll do an investigatory (laughs) the way that harold schecter wrote the book and how he started to describe these areas of wisconsin at least for back then was that you could drive through town in probably about a minute Mm. you know it's one main road with a couple buildings a bar a post office yeah maybe a little grocery store and that's about it so yeah we're talking a couple hundred people if that it seems right then let's send mike out there he he volunteered to do an investigatory let's do it I'll roam around, you know, I've roamed around cemeteries for 90 minutes plus. What's a drive out to Wisconsin? Maybe you can exhume Augusta and see how she's doing. I'll do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I believe her gravestone just says mother. Does it really? Mother. Really? It's not Norman Bates uh, psycho like at all, right? Mother. 
Well, all right. I'll oh, sorry, it. I'm skipping ahead here. Augusta's still alive. Yeah, still. Let's get back to our regularly on, scheduled man. programming. But even still, now that on, you I'm, said that about like that, her thing just said mother like that. Um, she wanted Ed to be a pure kid and like you know not like other men. But she was pretty fucking abusive to him. Like she would land into him. Like we talked about with the um, like him making a friend, and she like shut that down real quick. There were stories of her. Like he would lose a penny or something, like on like to go to the store, he would lose some of the change, and he would just get his fucking head ripped off all, mm. over, like only a mother could love you type thing, and like really put him down. So it wasn't like if Ed, you know, Ed was it was all fun for Ed. There were like they had this. It wasn't really a loving. loving it was not loving. Yeah. yeah, that sounds awful. Well, I fucking ruined his whole life. Let's be honest. Yeah. So shortly after Henry's death. Augusta had a stroke and the roles reversed. Ed was taking care of Augusta and reading her the Bible every night before bed. You're still not allowed <laughs> to have any pussy, Ed, even though I'm in bed and I can't stop you. No pussy for Ed. You're a pure boy. You don't get the pussy. Pussy's evil. It started teetering on a uh, little Nicky at the end there. <laughs> things eventually started to get back to normal until um augusta died of a second stroke on december 29th 1945 according to ed he and augusta went to buy straw from a man who lived nearby when they pulled up to his house the man was outside beating a dog to death and a woman was outside screaming at this guy to stop According to Ed, this caused Augusta's second stroke, but it wasn't like the trauma of watching this dog get beaten to death. It was the fact that the man and woman were not married, but they were living in the same house. <laughs> Dude, I wonder if she said that as she was dying. She was like, oh, it's not the dog. It's them living in the same house. Oh, I'm not buying straw from these sinners. Ed, take me home. See, I had interpreted as she had recovered a little bit, but still, I think it works both ways. I wonder, so do, do we know this? Is this confirmed? Not the dog being bludgeoned to death. I mean, it's confirmed that she died on December 29th from a stroke. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, <laughs> I have nothing about this story. <laughs> oh, the humanity. Four days after Jesus' birthday, and these people are living in sin, selling straw, and beating a dog to death. This is unacceptable, biblically. And dead. Gone. I'm going home to Jesus. Fuck Plainfield. <laughs> Take your Michael Vick shit somewhere else, motherfucker. <laughs> Sinner. No pussy for you after I'm gone, Eddie. And this is the quote that I was talking about earlier in the episode. Um, I did put it in the outline. Harold Schechter wrote that uh, quote. Ed lost his only friend in one true love, and he was absolutely alone in the world. I think that's Yeah, everything you've true. ever known, and absolutely. I think you quickly go off the deep end too. Pretty quick, the farm started to deteriorate and Ed just kind of gave up. He boarded up Augusta's room and never touched it again. It was just completely preserved how it was when she died. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre has that scene where where the girl busts through that boarded up door and there's the you know corpse of a dead grandmother inside that room. But in real life, Augusta was buried in a normal cemetery. But the boarded up room gets the first mentions of schizophrenia that Ed talked about. There had to have been things earlier on in his life that happened regarding schizophrenia because he's really old at this point for it to just now kick in. But not long after Ed boarded up the room, he would hear Augusta telling him to be a good boy. Ed got it in his head that he could will Augusta back to life and he would go to her grave attempting to bring her back. On these trips, Ed talked about more schizophrenic hallucinations like faces being hidden within the leaves of trees and they would laugh at him. Eddie, mama, <laughs> mama sees you touching your nasty little weenie. You better stop it. What a haunting voice to hear every time you pull out your dangle. Your dead stroke victim mom right before she died. Nah, he probably loved the fucking voice, right? I gave mom hard on. He, like she heard or he heard Bible passages like coming out of the room reading Bible stuff to him. No, I think he heard the your fucking voice. Just that's that, what uh, got him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go kill those straw selling sinners, Larry said. Take the hand off your wheelie. He came three times in that sentence, Dave. <laughs> On top of the hallucinations of uh, like these faces within the leaves laughing at him, real physical people in Plainfield were not nice to Ed. Teenagers would throw smoke bombs in his trunk, or if Ed tried to go to the bar, people would pour liquor in his beer to get him drunker so that his left eye drooped more, and they would still call him saggy baggy eye. To which Ed would retreat back to the farm and cry. At least hey, he went to the bar, right? If you guys ever want to put more liquor in my beer to get me drunker, I approve. <laughs> you can use this audio as evidence. I'm okay with it. Okay. If I go, you know, take one of my 19 piss breaks, you throw a little Tito's or some uh, some gin in that beer. Okay. What about roofies? Well, I don't want you to H-bomb me. Okay. Don't H-bomb me. All right. Fair enough. I'm going to finish the episode at least. Okay. I feel like if with an H-bomb, I probably wouldn't be right. able to. It's nice he went to the bar. At least he's getting out, right? He tried, yeah. Trying to break out of his shell a little bit. But then it didn't work. fuck with him, right? Yeah. Did he enjoy drinking? I don't know. Or was it just more like the, trying to get out and be social? It seemed like it was trying to be a, getting out there. Because there was no drinking um, a lot at his house. No. That's what I mean. Like no. when he found it. Like, Other than George doing it but no well, one yeah, else he saw yeah. he saw what drinking did yeah did it did it help his mental health issues did it make it worse or was it just more i want to go out and be part of the people it's all it's got to be a haunting existence to have that one person gone and you have this whole farm to yourself and you're schizophrenic and you hear her and, you, and you probably don't well you definitely don't realize what is happening to you yeah because I don't even know if the term schizophrenia was around at that point. And yeah. The whole town's fucking with you. It's like you can't get any. Right. You can't even go have a beer at the bar without getting fucked with wherever you go. Yeah. It's, it's obviously just, just going to push you further and further into madness. And, you know, his house was just like, you know, that classic hoarders type house. But Harold Schechter does a good job of describing it, like describing different things that Ed had, like, reminders for things that he had nothing to do with anything that he would 
you know, mm. need reminding of just a place of complete confusion and disarray. And it's just, I feel bad for Ed at this point. Like his existence is he never not had great. a chance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Ed started reading a bunch of true crime books, anatomy books, and right before some strange disappearances started, started reading books on Nazi Ilza Koch, aka the bitch of Buchenwald. There's a whole bunch to Ilza Koch. But what's relevant to Ed Gein is these books that he was reading talked about how she ordered some prisoners at Buchenwald to be skinned. From their skin, she made things like skin-bound books and lampshades. She specifically liked tattooed skin. There's a whole lot to that woman. Her and her husband, they oversaw a bunch of... He was the commandant mm -hmm. of the camp, yeah. She just kind of did her thing on the side because who's going to go against the wife of the commandant? Yeah, and she just sounded like a sadistic Ugh, person that just awful. really loved doing that kind of stuff. Regarding those mysterious disappearances starting in the late 40s, on May 1st, 1947, 8-year-old Georgia Reckelter was dropped off in an alleyway behind her house. She got the mail, which the person who dropped her off saw her do, and then she was never seen again. Witnesses say they saw a 49 Ford sedan driving away from the scene, and Ed drove a 49 sedan. On October 24th, 1953, 15-year-old Evelyn Nearly was babysitting, and it was her habit to call home and let her parents know that everything was going okay. That evening, she didn't call, so her father went to check on her. The door of the house was locked, and when he looked in the window, he saw Evelyn's shoes and glasses on the floor. The police investigation produced an open window in the basement with bloody shoe prints nearby. However, Evelyn or her body were never found. But John Ramsey's fingerprints were. <laughs> that broken window. <laughs> what about the kid she was babysitting? I don't know. Hmm. Good question. Is the kid just laying there sleeping? or I don't know. That's John Ramsey. <laughs> it didn't say every window was broken, Mike. Just one window. <laughs> That's all he that needs. That wasn't John Ramsey's time. trademark. It wasn't he broke his house. every window in the house. It wasn't his house. <laughs> he broke every window each time he returned home. When he went to a new house, you break one window, you get in. Then on December 8th, 1954, local bar owner Mary Hogan disappeared. Mary was a 200-pound, broad-shouldered woman who strongly resembled Augusta Gein. But that was the end of their similarities. Mary swore a ton. She wasn't religious. And the rumor around town was that she had a really sketchy past because she was not from Plainfield. Hey, I swear a ton. I'm not religious. I have a sketchy past. Nothing wrong with that at all. On December 8th, Seymour Lester walked into the bar to grab a drink and found it was completely empty, aside from a pool of blood on the floor behind the bar. From that pool of blood, there was a trail leading out the door to the parking lot. The sheriff responded to the scene, but the only other physical evidence that was found was a 38 caliber bullet shell. The disappearance of Mary Hogan really shook the town um, because it was obvious that foul play was involved. But Mary was really liked by the time she was the lady that owned the bar, the one and only bar in town. She served everyone drinks. Of course, yeah. everyone loved her. Did it shake the town to its core or did it just shake it? I think to the core, yeah. actually. I think it yeah. shook it like a salt shaker, shook it like a salt shaker, <laughs> shook it like a salt shaker, shook it like a salt shaker. <laughs> they still use that term. They shook it to its core. I hate that. They use it all the time. What does that mean? Shook it. I don't know. Shook it to its core. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means you were rattled by it. Okay. Also, what does that mean? <laughs> 
You're upset. The school was shaken to its core. Look, I want a okay. lady in here to start serving us drinks that could shake <laughs> us. To our, that could shook us to our core. Still, we've received no resumes from anybody who want, who's interested in our bartending gig. No, not one. I haven't heard of a single person interested. The Plainfield newspaper ran an article about Mary's disappearance every year, and on the uh, the second year. On December 15th, 1956, the Plainfield newspaper ran the following article saying, quote, After two full years, complete mystery surrounds the disappearance of Mary Hogan, who apparently was shot and dragged from her town of Pine Grove Tavern on December 8th, 1954. Nothing, absolutely nothing has come to light. And the questions concerning the whereabouts of Mary Hogan's body are as unknown today as they were on that bleak December day when a neighbor stepped into the tavern to find a strangely silent building and a blood splotched on the floor. Following the disappearance of Mary Hogan, a series of crimes took place in the Almond area some miles to the east, but along the same highway. Other crimes were committed at Wild Rose and at Plainfield. Some of these crimes were partly solved by the confessions of a town of Almond Man, but insofar the Mary Hogan case is concerned, it is still a complete and deep, dark mystery. Speculation is still rife about what happened to her, and people still talk about Mary Hogan. Was it something out of her past that caught up with her, or was it just some plain local hoodlums who perpetrated the crime? Was the body of Mary Hogan taken away and cremated somewhere, as some people sur surmise, or does the body of Mary Hogan lie rotting in some lonely town of Pine Grove or a nearby grave? The authorities don't know. No one knows, that is, except for the murderers themselves. When questioned, the almond man said, quote, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> After Mary's disappearance, people in town recounted Ed making odd jokes about her. A local farmer named Elmo that hired Ed to do jobs would tease Ed and say, you know, Ed, if you spent more time courting Mary, she would be at home cooking for you instead of missing, which is a weird joke and to begin with. But um, Ed would reply, she's not missing. She's down at the house right now. And this turned into Ed's, like one of his favorite jokes to tell people is that Mary was down at his house. Like, oh, yeah. oh, she's at my house. No big deal. Spoiler alert. This is mm. one of his confirmed victims. Spoiler alert. She's at his house. Mm -hmm. You go and learn today. <laughs> Day five, he sounds. <laughs> I just want to indicate when there's a spoiler alert. You should let us know we play that ahead of time. <laughs> Instead of us just fucking gabbing about it. What's well, funnier afterwards? <laughs> Throughout all these disappearances. Urban legends started to grow around Ed's farm. If kids had to walk past his property at night, they would run past Ed's farm as fast as they could. There were stories of a ghost of an old woman that haunted Ed's property. Young kids and teenagers said on certain nights that the ghost of this woman would be out dancing in the front yard of Ed's farmhouse. She would be banging on a drum and yelling into the night. And that's where we'll pick up on part two. Because... Spoiler alert. That's not a ghost. That's Ed wearing someone else's skin. And that's fucking terrifying. What well, now, now knowing that it's real, 
And he's fucking just out yeah. there like. He had a, a fucking tambourine made out of skin. Mm-hmm. He's out there beating it into the night. It's. Wa- I mean, I'm not against beating it into the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't went outdoors for, you know, an <laughs> all natural beat off? I don't know about that, but. But I'm just it sounds saying. like you could go to jail for doing something like that. Oh, on my own property. If you <laughs> walk by, that's your own fault. Yeah. Avert your eyes, yeah. pervert. Don't yeah. be looking at me yeah. jerking off on my, my fucking problem. front porch. Yeah. That's a you problem. That's yeah. not a me problem. Sorry. Saw the new Britney Spears photos. I don't give a fuck if the bus stop for your two-year-olds across the street. That's a you problem. <laughs> fucking two-year-olds getting on a bus. <laughs> Jesus. It is interesting when... Um, like it becomes a haunted house in town with a story before anything's even known, and the person's still living there, isn't it? Like yeah. kid, kids know, the well, kids know when something's askew, right? So we'll talk about it next week, but um, you know, Ed let a few people into his house, a couple kids that he would let in. Remember, we said like he connected with kids, mm-hmm. um he would tell them about shrunken heads that he had and stuff. And he showed a couple of kids, these heads and no one took those kids serious when they, when they left and, and would tell adults, they would be like, it's just Ed, you know, his place is messy, whatever. Mm-hmm. So from those kids with the stories of the shrunken heads and then, I mean, it, it didn't look like anybody lived in his farm. It looked completely abandoned it was just trashed. There's rats everywhere. Like when, when I said earlier that Harold Schechter describes Ed's living situation, like he described Ed's laying there in bed, hoping to hear Augusta talk to him, you know, which is his hallucination. His whole life. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's rats scampering oh, on the floors man. upstairs. Unimaginable. And stuff. Was this farm paid off? think so to the point where he didn't really have to bring in any income or anything like that he didn't bring in any income you know did he need to buy food or was he kind of surviving off what the farm produced or the farm wasn't producing anything Mm. as soon as augusta died it was just done i just kind of did some odd jobs and some okay some odd jobs yeah like that that farmer farmer, that's right would employ him to do some shit just the bare minimum to get by buy food yeah he legit ate um canned beans from mm. the moment Augusta died until he was arrested. Oof. He was really just like pretty much a hermit in that mm. farmhouse. But that is probably the, one of the scariest things we've ever talked about on this show is that kids would run past his property because of a ghost of a woman out there. And that's not even a fucking urban legend. That's real. Yeah. Like they were seeing it yeah. in real time. Mm-mm-mm. Good stuff. I forgot how crazy this story was. I'm glad we we're talking about it again. Yeah, it's. I think it's a good. Uh, my opinions have changed since we've done this. Since we did that episode. Well, we weren't really professionals back then, Ian. Are we really even now? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I'm certainly if... <laughs> not. Well, Ian and I are. I, I show up each episode not giving a fuck what happens. <laughs> exactly. But if you consider getting a paycheck, being a professional. I guess. Well, so how does your opinion change? Well, because after watching the Netflix Jeffrey Dahmer series, um, (laughs) I know one of our 
year end shows, someone asked a question that was like, what serial killer do you have sympathy for? And I said it, Jeffrey Dahmer at the time, I'm like, I, I could have some sympathy for Jeffrey Dahmer. I recall that. Sure. Um, after watching the Netflix series and reading part of a book on Jeffrey Dahmer that I've not read before, I don't have sympathy for Jeffrey Dahmer at all anymore. I don't really, I don't have sympathy for any serial killers besides Ed Gein. I do have sympathy for Ed, uh, obviously not killing anybody, you know, killing people is not right at all, but do have sympathy for him that he was just left alone in the just complete, uh, completely overcome by schizophrenia. Okay. With nowhere to go. That's a fair assessment. I do feel some sympathy for Ed. Because Ed thrived once he got out of that farm. We'll talk about it next week. He was He's the one and only serial killer to ever be tried for this shit and got off on reason and sanity. That he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. I don't think he knew the difference between much of anything. No. But once Ed got into a hospital and he was medicated, he thrived in that environment. It's so sad. They, I mean, she just ruined his whole life. A guy with maybe at least a little bit of potential. And that doesn't change I, anything about Mary Hogan's family, you know, sure, the, the victims sure. of his. Um, but if I'm going to feel sympathy for anybody, it would be okay. Ed Gein. I'll save that for next week. But okay. I was going to say, I feel like we're jumping a bit ahead. The final thoughts, but that's okay. It's a good teaser to lead us into next week, seeing as how the first episode was a one-parter. Yeah. About the same length, and we wrap the whole thing up. All right. Good stuff. All right. We got some patron shout outs. Thank you very much to Jaden Dugla, Sarah Neeson, Brittany King, Mark Kenny, Angie Brewer, Claudia Alonzo, Mindy Linton Hansen, Paul LRE55, Robert Ulke, Amanda Hazelton, Dalton Bailey. Dylan Henke, Jackie Ivy, Josh, Amy Lee, subscriber, <laughs> subscriber, hardly knower, <laughs> Carrie N, <laughs> Kristen Roberts, <laughs> Carol Emily, Abigail, Necronomapod Cox, you are making me broke, Joe, Karasu, Gabrielle Mays, Roberta Leblansky, Elizabeth Blesser, Amy Galger, Mike Litteris, <laughs> Diane Bonafancio, Fancino, Patty Porras, Alexa Brewer, Vids, Wisconsin Furtech, Charlie Carpenter, Jade Andrews, Adam Simmons, Keystone King, Maria Kustra, Andrea Calkins, Ethan LeSiege, Vanessa Armstrong, Venerable Hell, Buck Buck My Dicks Up, <laughs> Jill C., and Turd Ferguson. Thank you all very much. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Bigelow, The Beer Wizard, Co Cannon, Little Party Kid, Bianna0479, Megan Linder, Carly F., and Tiffy Olivia 2012. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? On the foreign iTunes reviews, I have Mrs. Gabbett from Great Britain. Close Your Blinds Australia, who I believe you've heard from before. Or before. 
from Australia, obviously. And uh, Matabui from Canada. Thank you so much for the uh, great reviews. On the military shout-outs, we have Nate Bohatch, or Bohatch, Air Force veteran. And I also have a make good from last week. We had a shout-out for uh, Ian Flores. They also requested a pterodactyl mic shout-out that I neglected to play. So (laughs) that's for you, Ian. Thank you for your service, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch. Necronomapod.com is the website. And Patreon.com. Search Necronomapod if you are interested in all of our bonus content. Thanks. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.